Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. Welcome to the Joshua Nation's Inheritance Podcast. allowing me to come and share. At different times, I've had opportunities to speak to international leaders, but I have to say that when uh, Jack presented this to me a number of months ago, I was excited and nervous all at the same time. I really believe that we are living in a time when Christian leaders need to be able to encourage one another. And so what I have for you today is something that was a deep lesson um, to me that was more on the lines of transformational. And what I mean by that is, is that um, I had encapsulated uh, pastoral training and ministry training into a concept that um, kind of fit my comfort zone and fit my demographic. And these things were just ideas that I said, okay, this is a way that I can comfortably communicate the word of God. About six years ago, um, after being in ministry for, at that time, about 13 or 14 years, I began to see that there were some things in my own life that I had disregarded. And I was attempting to lead and to teach um, without having dealt with some things in my own life. Because they weren't seen as blatant sin, there wasn't any, you know, there wasn't any moral misconduct, there wasn't anything relational. There were things that were internal that I began to see the Lord showing me in my own life that were roadblocks and hindrances in my ability to minister. The thing that was the template that God used, I'm just going to share with you from my experience what God used in my life, because I know that all of us have different ways that uh, we can can relate uh, to this topic I'm going to be sharing about. But uh, because I know that we're we're talking to people that are around the globe, I'll use both measurements. But the thing that was uh, being dealt with in my life was my weight. I was a very large man for a great number of years. I weighed uh, for most of my adult life. I was over three hundred pounds. So to put that in terms that those of you who are on the metric system would understand, that's around one hundred and thirty nine kilograms, I believe. That's a big man. And what I began to see is in my culture, I had something that I began to refer to. Um, Again, I don't know how well uh, this transfers to where you are, but some of my Western ministers would maybe understand this, but I called it the Friar Tuck Syndrome. Friar Tuck is a fictitious character that was the kind of traveling priest with Robin Hood. And Friar Tuck was a large man um, that 
ate and drank anything that was in sight. And I began to see that while I was attempting to stand in front of my congregation, and when I would travel internationally, which I'll get to in a moment, but when I would stand in front of my congregation and challenge them in their spiritual journey, there I was visibly um, out of shape and basically dealing with what scripture calls gluttony. And I want to just share with you today these aspects that kind of led me down a path of getting some things corrected within my own life that began to funnel down to what I refer to as the miracle of discipline. Discipline was not something that came naturally to me when it came to food. There was an ad campaign in the United States that went through the 80s and 90s with a popular snack company that said, crunch all you want, will make more. And this was an ad campaign that was put out by this snack company that I chose to live up to it. If, uh, if I could get my hands on something, I would, I would eat it. Um, I was definitely dealing with an addiction to food. The problem with an addiction like that is that it's not seen the same as an addiction to pornography, an addiction to alcohol, um, an addiction to illicit relationships. Uh, when someone has an addiction like I was dealing with, there's always this idea that there's a permissive aspect to it because it's not seen as something that is going to lead someone else astray. And I began to see that that misconception was taking me down the wrong path. So over these next few moments that we have together, I want to share with you three areas that discipline moved into my life spiritually. So what I want to start off with is a couple of scripture verses that give us the context of what I'm going to be talking about with you. The first one is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 5 and verse 14. What happens here is that a young man or a gentleman is healed and he goes to the temple for his purification. And Jesus, who had healed him, sees him at the temple. And this is what Jesus says to this man. Afterwards, this is John chapter 5 and verse 14. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, we could go on a theological journey together about the part of seeing that nothing worse happens to you. I'm not going to go down that theological path today, 
we can save that for another time. The point that I want to look at in this particular challenge is Jesus said, sin no more. And that phrase kind of grabbed me. And I thought, is Jesus putting out an impossible challenge? Is he saying something that he knows very well that we cannot do? And those types of things um, I had kind of put off in the past. I hadn't really concerned myself with what does it mean to go and sin no more. But I realized that Jesus doesn't say something. Um, the word that comes to mind is flippantly. Like he doesn't say something in a passive way. His words always carry weight and mean something. And so I began to ask myself, what specifically is Jesus challenging me to do with this phrase? This phrase isn't just in this particular place. In John chapter 8 and verse 11, we see it again. And this is a section of scripture where Jesus confronts the religious leaders who are about to stone a woman for the sin of adultery. And um, there's, again, there's a lot of theological discussion about this particular event. But let's look at what the scripture says in John chapter 8, in verse 11, it says this, um, Jesus asks her, where are those who condemn you? And where are they? And she replies, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So here we see this phrase again, where someone is uh, not specifically healed, but is delivered from a circumstance. And then Jesus tags on this challenge to go and sin no more. And I began to see in my own life that there was a level of discipline that was missing, and I needed to rise to the occasion and say, God, how can I allow my life to be that living example for what it means to follow Christ? And there began to be this unfolding of scriptures that were coming that let me see that my life was to be a living example of what it means to follow Christ. And brothers and sisters, today, I hope that if nothing else, I can just encourage you that whether you realize it or not, once you declare that you are a follower of Christ, you become a living example. God is challenging us to not simply challenge others in their walk with Christ, but God is specifically challenging me 
to be an example of what it means to follow him. That's powerful. I can open the Bible at any moment and see a scripture that I can develop a sermon, I can develop a teaching, and I can challenge someone else to follow Christ. But what I've seen over and over is that people truly respond to someone who has been transformed. <laughs> That's powerful, is that I, I, I don't have the testimony of someone who was um, in a gang, for example, and had all these people that were following me in my gang, and then I got radically saved. I wasn't addicted to drugs and alcohol and got radically saved. And for many years, I believed I didn't have a testimony because I was raised in a Christian home. I went to a Bible school. I desired to follow the Lord from a young age. But there was this part of my life that was not a living testimony. So let's look at three things together that discipline wraps up for us in Scripture. The first one that I want to look at is in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. And I have a couple of Scriptures that we're going to be turning to um, and I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. And um, so I don't know, hopefully that will be simple to follow along with, but I want to read this first one, is that the first point that I'd like to make is that discipline takes practice. Discipline takes practice. Paul is writing one of his um, more grateful letters, um, letters of appreciation to the church in Philippi. The church in Philippi is a church that just um, has been a support of Paul's ministry from the very first time that he came into their city. And this church was birthed out of one of his missionary journeys. And the church at Philippi, for lack of a better term, looks like it was his favorite church, if Paul had a favorite. Uh, he definitely speaks very highly of the leadership and the way that the church treats him and prays for him. And so in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12, here's the first point that we see. Not only that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So as I had mentioned, I was someone who was really out of 
what we say in the West is I was out of shape. My argument to that is I was in perfect shape. I was a circle, which is the most perfect shape there is. I was, I was in good shape. From that, I began to see that there was something that was not this testimony. And so I began in 2010 to make small challenges to myself about my health, but I wasn't making big strides by any stretch of the imagination. In mid-2011, I had a massive nosebleed right in front of my congregation on a Sunday morning. I was leading worship at the time, a blood vessel in my, in my nose burst, and I found myself in the emergency room about three hours later with a nosebleed that was so extreme that blood was actually coming out of my tear ducts in my eyes. This was due to an elevated blood pressure that had gone unchecked. When I was checked into the emergency room, my blood pressure was so high, they were surprised that I hadn't had a massive heart attack by the time I got there. I was sitting there in the emergency room, blood all over me, and the doctors began to do whatever they could to work with me. And I eventually had to be transferred to another hospital and have a um, sinus surgeon come in and help me put about three feet of gauze into my sinus cavity to stop the bleeding. It was the most excruciating thing I had experienced. And through that, I began to realize that I was in a rough place. I was in and out of consciousness through the event. And I woke up at one point after they had called in this specialist to, to pack in this gauze on one side. And because I hadn't known what was going on in my delirium, I pulled out the, all of the gauze that they had put in, um, only to the dismay of everyone who had worked hard. But there was just this huge thing that was going on. And it was not, you know, in, in, in some places like that, what happens is like, oh, Pastor Phil, the enemy is attacking you. Oh, Pastor Phil, the devil is after you. And I have to tell you that there are certain things in this particular circumstance, because it happened to me, I'm completely comfortable saying the devil may have taken advantage of a certain opportunity, but I did this to myself. I realized that it was my own living. It was my own lack of discipline that I had not been able to bring this under control. Look at what he says continuing on in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14. Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let me just share with you briefly about 
some words that are used in scripture so that we can kind of see what we're talking about. There is one word of discipline that refers to an adult training a child. And that's used a number of times. Um, I have the Greek written out here, but just for lack of needing, we don't really need to go into the Greek, but just understand there are some times when it's clear from the context that the word discipline means you're teaching and training a child. There's another word for discipline that is when someone is a a teacher or a rabbi that is sitting in the position of a master and is training someone in the way that they should go. That's not a child. It's more of a teacher to student training and discipline that's going on. In this particular instance, the concept that Paul is using is from a word in the Greek that specifically means physical training. And the one of the words in the Greek, because usually the Greek is formed from a couple of words, one of them is nausea, which is in English where we get the word nauseous or nausea. You know, we get sick and we vomit. <laughs> and this idea of training is a physical discipline that needs to take place. And that concept of training is what Paul sticks to a number of times. There's a number of places in scripture where Paul uses this. Now, one example I want to use is in Hebrews, and it's not necessarily known if Paul was or was not the author of Hebrews. Um, Many times, Paul is the assumed author. Um, There is some conversation about that. But this is one of the scriptures that's used to defend the idea that Paul wrote Hebrews because of the terminology that he uses in his other letters. I'm going to refer to this knowing that Paul may or may not have necessarily written this, but it's in Hebrews chapter 12. And in Hebrews chapter 12, if you're familiar with Hebrews, we're just coming out of what is referred to as the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And he talks about this great cloud of witnesses now. And this is what he says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And here's the, here's the section that we're looking at. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Can I tell you that I began to take that literally? <laughs> I began after this encounter, after I had challenged myself with my eating habits, I began to look at things like this and realize that it's possible that Paul enjoyed exercise. It's very possible that he was the kind of guy, I don't know in the culture, but I know that sports was very well known and observed in the Roman Empire. 
Paul refers to racing so much. I kind of picture him as a guy that gets up in the morning and exercises in some way, or maybe, I don't know, do they run? Uh, Obviously they didn't have the footwear that we do, but just in my own mind, he refers to it so much. I began to run. I was so large when I began to run that I couldn't run more than one kilometer, just over half a mile without stopping and taking a walk. And then I would run a little bit more and walk. And um, I was very discouraged. Um, I was so heavy that I even um, did something to my shin where I thought I had broken my leg under the weight of my own body. It was just a really bad situation, but I stuck with it and I began to focus on being able to run that first three kilometers without stopping, which is about a mile and a half, basically a 3K. Thought, okay, I can, I can do this without stopping. And I was very proud of myself for doing that. And then there's a common thing that happens here in the States that are um, usually fundraisers that are called 5Ks. And these are 3.1 miles, and we run these 5Ks for benefits. And so I set a goal to run in a 5K, and I did that. And I ran that without stopping, without walking. I ran it, and I thought, that was neat. Let me try a 10K which is about 6.2 miles. Then I, be, I did that. Then I heard of a race that was um, a half marathon, which a half marathon is 13.1 miles. Those of you who are in the metric system, I don't know, maybe 19 kilometers, I'm not sure. I began to look and strive to do a marathon. Then after doing my first marathon, I heard of something called ultra marathons. And an ultra marathon is anything that's over about 30 kilometers. And so I began to train for that. And two years ago, I did my first 50K, which is around 32 miles. Then last year, I did my first 100K, which is around 62 miles. And I'm currently training to do my second 100K in about four weeks, I'll be doing my second 100K. I tell you all that to say these things take practice and discipline. So in that, the second point that I'd like to make is that discipline is our part of salvation. What was the first one? Discipline takes practice, but discipline is also our part of salvation. Scripture tells us that Jesus Christ went to the cross for our sins. He did something for us that we could not accomplish. But then there's language like this, and maybe a phrase that you're familiar with from Scripture, the working out of our own salvation. Maybe you're familiar with that phrase. I began to see that there was a part of my spiritual journey that salvation was for me, and I could not get my own salvation on my own merit or my own abilities. But once I 
received salvation, then there was a part of that that was now I was responsible for living that life. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. Listen to how Paul challenges his student, Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. And here's our term, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So now we see that Paul is crediting Timothy with discipline and with some things that he is training himself. Paul uses this language regularly. Look in, well, we don't have to turn there. Just I want to make sure I get all of this in with you today. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, if you just want to write this down, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, he says this, all runners run a race, but only one receives the prize. So there's this concept again that Paul refers back to physical training. He takes the training that is required in the natural and he equates it with the training in the spiritual. So now I have an aspect of my spiritual journey that requires discipline. I could show you photos of before and after my physical training. I can show you what I looked like at 139 kilograms and show you now compared to where I am. And I don't know what I am in kilograms now, but there is this, there would be a distinct difference. I've had people that haven't seen me in four or five years and they'll pass me in the market and they'll pass me when I'm walking through the neighborhood and they'll have to look twice and fill it. I have, what's happened? Now, now watch, watch this. Spiritually, there should be the same response. If I have been transformed by the word of God, then someone should be able to see from my own conduct that there has been a transformation in the spirit. Phil, what has happened to you? <laughs> that's, and that's what Paul is saying, is that someone who is trained, there is a dramatic difference in their physical appearance. And Paul is saying someone who has been trained in the spirit, there should be a dramatic difference. Brothers and sisters, there has to be a dramatic difference in our lives. The first thing, discipline takes practice. The second one, discipline is our part of salvation. And then the final thing that I want to look at with you today is that discipline brings fruit. What we see is now we're going to switch over to the words of Peter. And Peter says in his first letter that he wrote, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. Watch this. This was, again, very transformative in my spiritual journey. 
1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12, Peter says this, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of salvation. So now we see that there is a definite aspect to spiritual training that must be visible even to a pagan, an outsider, someone who is not a part of the body of Christ. Now, in this context, Peter is not only speaking to the Jew. He uses this term in the Greek that is um, the Gentile. But for Christians now, what Gentile means is simply someone who is not a follower, who is outside of the body of Christ. So you and I, we need to have such a testimony that even when those who are outside of the body of Christ would speak evil against us, their words would come back on them because our lives would be so honorable in the sight of everyone. It would be obvious that we are followers of Christ. So I just want to quickly review some of these again. Discipline is a miracle. It was a miracle in my own life. I never imagined that I would be able to run a hundred kilometers ever. First of all, I would never think that I would want to run a hundred kilometers. But through this miracle that took place in my own life, discipline began to be something that I actually looked forward to. I wanted to test the limits of my own body. And in doing that, I began to see the spiritual application of testing the limits of where God could take me if I was pursuing him as a spiritual athlete. The first thing, discipline takes practice. The second one, discipline is our part. Jesus went to the cross for us. Salvation, we cannot gain access to God on our own. Once we receive salvation, now that spiritual transformation, a large part of it is our responsibility. How much time am I spending in the Word of God? How much time am I spending with Jesus? Do I pray? Do I come and pray and only ask for things? Or do I sit in silence and allow God to minister something new to me? Discipline is our part. Then finally, the third thing, discipline brings about fruit. I can't tell you how encouraging it is to have someone come up to me and say, I didn't even recognize you. I was in an event about um, three years ago, and someone from my own congregation saw me out of the context of being the pastor. We were, um, we were at an event. Um, I wasn't uh, in my Sunday dress and all that. It was casual. 
And I was standing in a group of men, one of my own congregants. I'm standing there and they're going around and they're introducing people. And he sticks out his hand and introduces himself because he didn't recognize me right away. That was the kind of transformation that I had had physically. But I began over the last six to seven years to desire that type of transformation in the spirit. For God to be doing so much in my life that those who would have known me years ago would say, Phil, what has God done in your life? I thank you so much. I know that there are probably multiple examples and situations and circumstances that are going on, but I just want to close this time with you and ask for the Lord to move powerfully in your lives. Father, I just come before you. I thank you for this opportunity to share with my brothers and sisters. And Lord, I ask that we would really begin to see this miracle of discipline take place in our lives. God, we want to train. We want to follow. We want to know you. We want our lives to be transformed in such a way that there would be an obvious change in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Joshua Nation's Inheritance Podcast. We hope you were encouraged and challenged with today's message. For more from Joshua Nations, visit our website, joshuanations.org. Thank you.